Ms. Todd Adams. This is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is a podcast where we talk about a bunch of cool stuff, right, sweetie? Yeah, that's that sums it up. Will you turn my mic up just a little bit? Sure. Gracias, amiga. I speak Spanish. Do you? Is yo, it, how's that sound? Yo hablo espanol. I know. Um, so, Zen Parenting Radio, first and foremost, what is it, you may ask? It's a discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom, that's you, and a logical and practical dad, that's me. We have three daughters, ages 6, 9, and 11, and our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, to become a better you. And always remember that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. And this is uh, Zen Parenting number 188. Wow. So we're getting close to that uh, 200 number. Big party going to happen that night, right, sweetie? Yes. So we were about to press record about a half hour ago, and we were hit with the devastating news that Robin Williams passed away today. Yeah. We're recording this on Monday, August 11th. So we had a much bigger agenda, but we feel like this is topical. We feel like there's maybe some things that we can learn and teach through his the tragedy of his death. Uh, we're also going to play a few clips from a few of our favorite movies mm-hmm. by Robin Williams. But before we get into it, it's so interesting about how you deal with grief and sadness, and I do, because I, I saw on my phone, it's like, oh, Robin Williams dead at age 63. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I felt horrible, but I didn't cry. And then I walked into the office, and you were bawling. And I'm envious of you. And I don't know. I don't know if it, if I don't think it's as sad as you do, because I do think it's sad, but I don't react the same way. And I just feel like saying that out loud because maybe there's some other people out there that are similar to me. Hmm. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I, like, I, gosh, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that because that's very individual. I, I think that something that's important for me is that when I feel something that I just do whatever that feeling Whatever dictates. comes up. And one thing I learned many years ago, probably about five years ago now, that really helped me understand myself a little better um, is Jill Bolte-Taylor. Mm-hmm. You know who she is? Oh, sure. She's a brain scientist who had a stroke. And uh, she actually wrote a book called My Stroke of Insight. And um, she talked about how one, you know, she lost the side of her brain that was focused on doing. Mm-hmm. And she was only in the side of her brain that was focused on energy and feeling. Right. So she lived in that part of her brain. So she now, through not only her own research and being a scientist, but through her own experience, understands how the brain works. And one thing she said was that when you get an emotion, when you have a feeling... It comes through you and it takes 90 seconds. What does that mean? That means a feeling for it to go from, you feel it, it's an energy, Mm -hmm. for it to move through you Mm -hmm. is 90 seconds. Okay. And if you can feel that, then it dissipates. Wow. And you don't carry it. So what you're, I think what you're getting at is instead of uh, suppressing it or pushing it down, whatever Mm -hmm. word you want to use... As long as you allow yourself the openness mm-hmm. to feel it, mm-hmm. it will not go away, but no, it will, it will because dissipate. because it may hit you again, again later. And again and again. It's not about 90 seconds and it's forever gone. You'll never, but you'll that for that, because for those of you who listen to this, you know this, but emotion 
is energy in motion. That's what emotion means. So a feeling is an energy that starts to move through you. Mm -hmm. Most of us have learned how to stop that process and to not only stop it, but we're, we have so many walls that we don't even allow it to get started. Right. Because yeah, we we've stop like it numbed. It starts. Yes. And if it's a big one and it keeps trying to come up, we push it down even more and it becomes something else. My point in saying all that is that things I get hit like a lot during the day. Right. And sometimes I cry and sometimes I just feel sad. I don't always cry. But I cried um, because he killed himself. I yeah. Think. It, it appears that way. I mean, this this just came out like an hour ago. So when you're listening to this, there will be a lot more coverage on there. But the sheriff's alluded to the fact that it looks like he committed suicide. Yeah. His, uh, his publicist said that he's been dealing with a pretty significant depression. And what's crazy about this, and then I want to play a quick clip, but what's crazy about this is you just... I just had an assumption. Like I knew that he was like big into drugs and maybe I knew he would dealt with depression, but it gives me an appreciation for the respect you need to have for mental illness. Mm-hmm. I, my logical brain says, oh, he's a 63 year old guy. He has it figured out. Mm-hmm. He, he knows how to deal with it and you're never safe. It's Philip Seymour Hoffman all over again. Just different, just different, uh, pants. And what I, know, I mean by I, that, I thought of Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, I agree with you, but I just think that the age is what's so shocking to me. I, I feel like if you're going to commit suicide, you, you, that you're going to do it before the age of 50. Like, I don't think that's true. Maybe there's just as many. Yeah, you've created that story. In right. Head, but yeah. I, and I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. But it seems like he's 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 been able to deal with the demons for 63 years. Why yeah. is it that on the 63rd year the demons became too much? I don't know. And, you know, and, and to compare – why was Philip Seymour Hoffman sober for 21 years and mm-hmm. then he decided to do heroin right. again? The truth is we, none of us will know. Right. So there's no reason. Uh, this We would never on this show try and figure them out. I wouldn't dare do that because that would be disrespect. You know, that's mm-hmm. their that's right. their life. Right. Um, but what I would say is that, like you said, depression is a real thing. And for part of it that makes me cry is it scares me. Um for anybody who's had depression, mm-hmm. um, which I have before, it's scary. Mm-hmm. And the reason it's so scary is because um, you're hopeless. Mm-hmm. And some people, I have not, I don't feel that in my lifetime I've had clinical ongoing chronic depression, but I've had depressing times. You know, yeah. like I've gone into you've a depression some, and come out. You've had some valleys. Yeah. And it's scary. Yeah. Um, and anybody who's experienced that knows. And when people take their lives because of that, it just it just frightens me because I you you kind of understand. Um, never when I say understand, I don't mean you're like, oh, that's typical because it's not typical because there's many people who deal with depression who find other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I say you understand, you're not shocked. Right. When you hear that someone is battling a depression, especially Todd, if it has been chronic, right. where you are 63 and you're like, I'm going through this again. Right. Um, or I can't do it anymore. Um, and it's real. And there are people who deal with their, their depression in many different ways. You know, your sister texted us right when she heard and she wrote uh, dual diagnosis is a real thing. And what she means by dual diagnosis is he was in rehab mm-hmm. a few times. He uh, was addicted to cocaine. He was an al- alcoholic. Um, and a lot of times 
uh, alcoholism or any kind of addiction is a uh, is kind of a what am I trying to say? It's a it's because of the mental illness right. that they are using. Right. It, they're self medicating. Right. With um, alcohol or drugs. Because I have this, I'm going to do that. Because this depression is so debilitating, because my anxiety is so strong, I'm going to drink. Mm. I'm going to cocaine. Oh my gosh, I'm out of my head. Yeah. Um, it's and a coping mechanism. That's a right? coping, uh, for sure. It's a defense mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. Escape. It's an escape. It's a numbing, all of the above. And so a lot of times, you know, I talk to um, where my college semester is coming up again, where I teach at Dominican. And a lot of time I, I talk to my students about addiction. And then thing that I always say to them is when someone goes to rehab, they haven't even begun Mm -hmm. because they go through rehab. And when they get out, that's when everything begins. The rehab is just developing the tools because the truth is the addiction has been masking something else they're not dealing with. And for some of them, it's been mental illness. And so it's big. Um, So I want to, uh, just because we want to talk about a few other things, I want to play a few clips. This one is from Dead Poet Society, Mm. which is one of our favorite movies. That's my favorite character that he ever played. And honestly, um, he's in my new book because I talked about how uh, John Keating, even though he's a fictional character, is one of my greatest teachers. So here we go. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, O me, O life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, O me, O life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. That the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? Hmm. What do you think? Well, that's everything that, I mean, this is what I love about talking about these things on this radio show is because as you and I say, we aren't creators of this. Mm -hmm. This isn't new information that we're sharing. We're trying to share it in a new way. Mm -hmm. And what his character, his fictional character is doing is saying exactly what we are trying to say every day, which is what we work for. He's talking about these noble pursuits, you know, being a lawyer, doctor, all these things. These are noble things and these are not things that we should take lightly. But what do we live for? Right. We live for love. We live for relationships. We live for nature. We live for being alive and being here. And that is the essence of what BU is. Mm -hmm. 
You know, it sounds funny, like I'm trying to compare what John Keating is saying to BU. I guess I'm just trying to make the connection to why he's such a meaningful character to me. Right. And why I love that he is, uh, that's a, like, uh, Dead Poet Society is based in another, I don't know what year it's supposed to be. Yeah, maybe a generation or two ago. And so that he was trying to teach these things. And we we all, if we've seen the movie, remember what happens to him. Right. You know, the parents can't handle it. Mm -hmm. The staff can't handle it. And he can't well, stay. And talk about irony. What happens in that movie? Yeah, irony. Yeah. Because the boy is not allowed to be himself. Not allowed to be himself, so he takes his own life. And his parents blame. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Keating, Keating yeah. for reminding him to be himself. It's it's a it's a beautiful movie, and it, and um, I guess the last thing is is what will your verse be? Mm-hmm. That's just. That's the uh, Mary Mary Oliver. He talked about poetry. Mary Oliver is a poet, and she says, "What will you do with this one wild and precious life? Yeah, what will you do with it?" And sometimes we go around complaining about why things aren't going your way, but if you look at it in terms of, "Hey, this is an opportunity. This life, this thing called life, we get bogged down with our own stuff." Just recently, like I, I, I read certain texts, or you send me something on Facebook or whatever. And it's so funny because it's whenever I get grumpy, it's because something isn't going according to the way I had planned it totally, out. Totally. And I've just kind of been trying to say to myself over and over is like, embrace when things go wrong because one, things aren't always going to go the way that you want them to. And two, it's just a drain of your resources to say, well, why did it go this way? Mm-hmm. And my, my examples, I have some issues with the apartment buildings right now. Like I, it's so easy for me to just be grumpy mm-hmm. and I'm being grumpy around you guys and my daughters and it's just a waste of my energy. Mm-hmm. If I can embrace the idea that things aren't going to go my way and still be present and happy when things don't go your way, it's okay. And you know, the thing is, is can you, instead of having, feeling the pressure of being present and happy, even though I know what you're saying, yeah. um, is can we let go of how we think things are supposed to be? And that's what you're saying. Let go of expectations. Like for an example, and this goes with emotion too. It kind of pulls us together. So last night, my friend Amy, um, she took my picture. Um, for the for it was, took my picture and pictures of us, and she took a bunch of pictures that for she wants book. to use for my book, but also for her website. Uh. And she we she had a flash drive, and when she got home, she couldn't find it, and we couldn't find it. And I had that moment of oh, you know, I felt bad for her, I felt bad for me, and I was like oh, and I had to feel because you thought you're gonna have to take the pictures all over again, or the pictures were just gone, right? And right. and I I going back to the ninety second thing, mm-hmm. I had to feel it. I don't say oh no, it's no big deal mm-hmm. because that's called denial. Yeah, you were bumming. I was like, oh, you know, and I did feel that way. Then what my thoughts were, it started to be what you were just talking about. Who really cares? Yeah. Why is I'll this such a big again. deal? Right. Um, this is not a big deal. But there is no rush. But it's not pushing the feeling out. Like, no. And, and I think that's what I need to get better at because I'm like, I don't know, I kind of get caught in my brain and I'm like, instead of just being bummed out about whatever just went wrong, I get mad at myself for 
being grumpy. Totally. And what you're doing is you are saying, I shouldn't feel this way. Right. That's just as bad as saying, I shouldn't think this. Right. The truth is you had a plan and you're you're a lot more waffly right. than I am, but I am still the same. And when I say waffly, Todd's got compartmentalizes things, like things should go a certain way. But we're all like that because what our brain does, beep, 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 it's a computer and it decides this is how I want things to go. When it doesn't go that way, we somehow think everything has gone wrong Mm -hmm. when the truth was the only thing that happened is it didn't go the way our little and when i say little brain i don't mean we're not our brains aren't magnificent i just mean we're one person in the entire universe we're not supposed to have everything go the way our brain thinks it should right and so what we need to do is have the feeling because once we have the feeling we have a clearing feel the feeling feel the feeling you're clear you open up space and then you can say oh this isn't any big deal. Right. And but, instead but you of, have to clear that space. You have first. to clear the space because if you don't feel the feeling and kind of have the, uh, or the tears or the, the release or the journaling or the, just the stomping a little bit, then that energy didn't move through mm-hmm. and it kind of stifles everything and you get stuck in it and it's mucky. You know, what's good about moving energy through what Dr. Kelly at tree of life chiropractic care. Um, um, and one thing you don't know this yet, sweetie. But Dr. Kelly is the only chiropractor in our town of Elmhurst that is certified for pediatrics. Yay! Will you you clap it up? I knew she was going to school. I knew that she was getting her... Good job, Dr. Certification Kelly. in that, and I'm so happy So for that's her. one other way. If you have kids, and you probably do if you're listening to the show and you happen to live in the Chicagoland area, that she is uh, the only certified pediatric chiropractor in our town. So that's awesome. So it's chirotree.com, 630-941-8733. I'm going to play another clip from Goodwill Hunting. Uh, there might be a few curse words, but I'm going to beep them out. Okay. All right? Sounds good. And I don't know how long I'm going to let it play for, but... This is when he and Matt Damon are talking on the park bench. Don't you ever dare to love anybody that much. I look at you. I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared, <laughs> kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine. You ripped my f***ing life apart. You're an orphan, right? Do you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been? How you feel? Who you are? Because I read Oliver Twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a about all that because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some f***ing book. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are. And I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. Your move, Chief. Your move, Chief. Self-awareness. Whenever I think of that movie, that's the first scene I think about. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just powerful because the next session, for those of you who haven't seen it, you need to go get it. But the next session, they just sit in silence. He like basically gives all the power back to Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. 
and says, I'm not going to talk until you create mm-hmm. some sense of vulnerability. And that mm-hmm. is the stepping stone to him breaking through with Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I just, I just have always loved that scene. I love that scene. Well, it's probably the best, it's probably the Academy Award winning scene because sure. he won yeah. for that. Um, but that's also why our daughter's name is Skylar. That's right, because I named her. No, Todd thinks he named her. I got Skylar from Goodwill Hunting. Actually, you're correct with everything you said, except I got <laughs> Skylar from Goodwill Hunting. It cracks me up that we talk about this because I like remember. I feel like I can tell you the whole story of when I said it to you, right? And but, then you try and take. But actually, I'm the one who remembers when okay. because it was me going back to Sean McGuire, is which is the character he plays right um the reason so i love john keating because he's a teacher and because he's so sure about what he wants these kids to know about life he wants them to have a good life and love what they do and not get sucked in by the machine right you know um but what i love about sean is he's also a teacher Mm -hmm. um but he makes choices for himself that work for him. And he has this really strong character and integrity. Mm-hmm. He, he wants to help Will find that sense of character and integrity. Part of that through loving a girl. Well, and what I'll say is that there are certain shortcomings that Robin Williams' oh, for character sure. has in this, and he learns through teaching Absolutely. Will. Absolutely. Just like we as parents learn, learn from, through our children. Yes, exactly. That's the thing is, and you know, as you guys, teachers don't have to be, there. there's no such thing as a perfect person. He's a very flawed man too. He's in a depression himself yeah. because his wife has passed away yeah. and he's stuck. Yeah. Um, but I also, you get an understanding of him that even before his wife was sick or passed away because of his, his roommate in college was the guy who won all the awards. Mm-hmm. Um, and he never needed all that. Right. He just wanted relate. He didn't even go to that baseball game because right. he would rather be, he, he put relationships first. He had to go see about a girl. He had to go see about a girl. So he put relationships first. And so it's just one of those characters. Something that I think has happened in Hollywood is on TV and in movies is we're starting to have these characters that are like anti-heroes. And for as much as I love the Tony Sopranos, because it's a, it was a great show, I didn't watch Breaking Bad, but for as much as I love those, not love, as much as I appreciate the acting and et cetera, I don't know how great it is for us to have these anti-heroes, anti-heroes. as the people that we kind of identify with. I get it, and mm-hmm. I hope it's a passing phase. Right. Um, you know, like I understand that people like the bad, like guy, the bad guy. But see, the you, back in the old days, the bad guys were fully bad. It was literal, right? Yeah. Whereas the new bad guy, Tony Soprano, and who's the other one you just said? Uh, Walter White, Breaking Bad, um, Dexter. Right. You know, all these characters that are like that. You see the hu- humanity and the goodness in them as well, right? You do, which I appreciate. Like that's the thing is, it's not about that it's bad and they shouldn't do it. But I miss characters like a Sean McGuire. Who, and they're still out there. There's some movies where I'm like, oh, the heart-centered man or woman who is flawed, mm. but their character and their integrity is intact. Right. And Tony Soprano's integrity is not intact. 
Yeah. Do you think? Just a little bit. Um, and, and that's my point is that I love that they do have a heart, but I believe every human being does. Mm-hmm. So that's not new news to me. I don't care what you do or who you are. That's what you came from. That's who you truly are. Um, so anyway, I just really liked him as a character. One other thing, and I don't remember the name of the kid who was in the TED Talk, but he talked about depression. He was a, wasn't he a comedian oh, or something? No, no. He was a kid. He was a 17-year-old I remember. He was young. The one thing I remember from it, and I'll try to find it and include it in the show notes, is he talked about what depression is. Maybe I'll even insert it into this okay. uh, show. I don't know if I can find it. But he says... Depression isn't about being sad. It's not about being down on this or that uh, when things aren't going your way. He said depression is when there's nothing wrong Mm. and then you still still feel feel it. Like there is no no sense of – You you can't feel anything good. Yeah. And that's – I don't know. That was very moving to me when I heard him say that because I've, I've always felt like, oh, I'm a little down today. And it's because something happened. Something didn't go my way. And what he was saying in the beginning of that TED Talk is even when everything is going fine, mm-hmm. you're still – and I, I will hopefully, knock on wood, I'll never feel that sense of depression. But it gave me an appreciation for what mental illness well, an is. Well, understanding of when people say, why, why do you feel that way? Stop feeling that way. Do more. And that there is a literal chemical imbalance going on if it be from birth, right. if it be because of extreme trauma or circumstances in your life, if it be because of, you know, situational. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that's the thing is like, this is what I believe. I believe, obviously, obviously, I believe depression is a real thing. And obviously, I believe there's genetic components. But I also believe that we don't have to be at the mercy mm-hmm. of our genetics. The reason I talk about things like Sean Acor's book about happiness and about meditation and about all, why we talk about this is there are practices mm-hmm. that can be put in place right. to help alleviate. I'm not saying it will erase it all. I'm saying there's certain practices that we can do to keep ourselves, I'm not even going to say keep, to support us in finding or accessing that place where we can feel good. We may never come to a point, and many people who do these practices, they still need to take medication. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because the chemical imbalance is so great that they need to make sure that they have, they're they're using whatever tools they can, which I'm in full support of. Well, and I think one of the first steps is um, just in the last few years, we have become a little more active in NAMI, National Association of Mental Illness, Mm -hmm. because our good friend, Jessica Rapay from Mm -hmm. Synergy Creative. Uh um, She's a strong advocate for them, yeah. So what NAMI, at least what I've gotten out of the benefits that you and I have attended, is it's about removing the stigma. Yes. Because we don't, there's no stigma against cancer. Or diabetes. There's no stigma against diabetes. But there is stigma against somebody who suffers from mental illness. Totally. And um, I don't know, I just encourage our listeners to uh, ask themselves why there is a stigma with it and to maybe lessen it a little bit personally, like, you know, and the best way to do that is to maybe get on the NAMI newsletter. I mean, I don't know what you would do, but just know that, um, it's, it's an illness just like any other illness. Stigmas decrease when we have information and when we speak it, 
when we talk about it. A lot of times um, people who struggle with um, mental illness or, or family members who have family members who struggle with uh, mental illness, they keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. They don't talk about it. Right. And the more that we talk about it, and when I say normalize it, what I mean by that is let people know that it's tip, you know, it's happening in your family. I don't know what the stat is, but it's like everybody, you know, I can't remember. I don't want to make it up because I don't want to put something out there that I haven't checked. But, you know, the more we discuss it and the more we have information, the more the stigma can dissipate. And when the stigma dissipates, it empowers people, the community, the actual victim of, not victim, but... Um, The person who's suffering or dealing with it. The person who's suffering from Mm -hmm. it. To not have shame attached to it. And to access help. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, you know, I, I, I work in the mental illness um, world and the, the fact that how much money has been taken away mm-hmm. in the states and federally from helping people with mental illness yeah. and the fact that there is not a sense of urgency around supporting people. And again, this is this connects to things like gun laws and everything and I don't want to you know, I don't want to get into that. But I will just say I don't think we understand how important it is right. for people to have access to help because the thing is is there's hope. You don't mental illness is not what happened to Robin Williams doesn't have to happen. Right. There are people who live successful lives with schizophrenia. Yeah. With bipolar, with chronic depression, there are people who can live very successful lives, but they need support and access to help to do that. They can't do it alone. None of us can do it alone. Mm -hmm. And when we try and pretend these things don't exist. And think of the amount of support you get when you get cancer. Oh, everyone rallies around you. Everybody rallies around you. And then it makes us afraid for some reason with mental illness. Well, and that's why I wanted to say at the beginning of the show, which I did, that it always scares me Mm -hmm. when this happens. Because it's the Maya Angelou quote again, whatever is of a human is of me. And all of us could be so hopeless Mm -hmm. that something like this could happen. So instead of me pretending like, oh, that's just someone else that has nothing to do with me. No, I have felt things that are scary like that. And instead of putting my head in the sand about it, it reminds me to practice what I practice. It reminds me to look at the world a certain way so I don't feel hopeless. And it reminds me to help other people. Because when we try and run away from these kind of things, I think that's when thing it chases us more right you know what i mean i do i do um all right so uh, i want to play one more clip but it's going to be short because there's a lot of cuss words in it and i don't feel like beeping all of them out what's it from it's him doing stand-up i think i feel the need although that you and i are bigger fans of robin williams in his drama roles Uh um because sometimes when he's really funny and chaotic he's kind of all over the place he's all over the place and training but there's this thing that he does on golf and scots okay? okay And it's going to be a disservice to beep the F-bombs out. So I'm going to put it in the show notes. The YouTube clip will be in the show notes. And if you want to smile at Robin Williams, I guarantee... But this will just be a quick few seconds. A ball in a gopher hole. (laughs) Oh, you mean like pool? (laughs) Pool. That was a straight stick with a little stick. (laughs) A whack the ball that goes in a gopher hole. I mean like croquet. Croquet. I put the whole hundreds of yards away. 
It's a funny three minutes. Oh, man. When he used to do stand-up, remember how sweaty he would get? Yeah. He would get so worked sweaty, up. Sweaty guy and hairy arms. He sure did. And and you know what else? He was <sighs> he was Mork. Mork for Mork. No, 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 no. Um, what does he say? Come in, Orson. Mork calling Orson. Come in, Come in Orson. Orson. I think that's what he says. And he said, Nanu, Nanu. Nanu, Nanu. Um, and he would say, your eyes are leaking. Your eyes are leaking when you cried. Um, what about uh, Dr. John Kelly, our second partner? Um, the girls are getting their expanders on Thursday. They are. So, um, John Kelly, it's not your father's dentist, no. sweetie. Don't forget that. Um, just a little quick tidbit on Dr. Kelly. He's an international speaker, and he's lectured and coached other dentists throughout his community about physiologic function and advanced cosmetics. So this guy is... He's a teacher of dentists. He's a teacher of dentists. Mm-hmm. He's like an expert of the experts. And he's on all sorts of boards and panels. He works with... He kind of does this whole, like, uh, not multifaceted, what's the word I'm looking for, where he's with a lot of other healthcare practitioners, exactly. doctors. You know, he works in in... A team. A team of different <laughs> types of doctors kind to of kind doctors. of figure out how yes. one relates to the other. Thank you. My words are not coming. And his deal is it's all about physiologic dentistry mm-hmm. or comprehensive dentistry. Anyways, uh, if you live in Chicago, you got to call him up and tell him that Zen Parenting sent you. Um, 5350 West Devon Avenue on the beautiful northwest side of Chicago. 773-631-6844. Not too far from Happy Foods. It's right. It's right by Happy Foods. Where Todd likes to get their roast beef and I put salt on it. the roast beef. I know you do. Mm, good stuff. Happy Foods. All right. So we talked about Robin Williams a lot longer than I thought we were going okay, to. Okay. Let's just do a real quick thing about... What about your blog? Okay. So... What do you know about I wrote it? a blog What's last week, but I posted it again this week. It's called Back to School, The Normalcy of Anxiety. And I wrote it because everybody I've been talking to for the last week and a half is freaking out that we're going back to school. I'm not too far from freaking out. I mean, I feel what I mean by that is I feel the same way. It's very difficult for me um, to shift from um, the way I am in the summer and then going into the way things are in the fall. Um, the fall is a lot busier time. The fall has a lot more um, meetings. The fall has a lot more obligations. And that's what I get anxious about. I actually like fall weather. Oh, yikes. You know what time this is, sweetie? No. This is the guitar don't. solo. Yeah. This is Summertime Blues. That's right. Why are you playing this version? Because you're suffering from the Summertime Blues. Well, suffering is the wrong word. I'm not. I'm gradually getting ready. What I do around this time is I start getting prepared. Like I start doing things to get me moving in that direction. And, you know, anyway, the blog, getting back to it. I think one thing that we kind of like Todd talking about, he doesn't know if he should feel this emotion or not, is we feel anxious and we don't like feeling that way and we think we shouldn't feel that way or we get angry that we feel that way or we feel it way too much and we don't become aware that it's so normal. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's a sense of concern or worry or maybe a little melancholy when we're shifting from summer to fall. And why do we think we need to not feel that? We don't need to feel it and suffer and stay in bed all day, but we can say, yep, I'm a little anxious and accept it. One of the most important reasons to accept that feeling is then we can accept when our children are feeling anxious. Because if you were starting a new job on Monday, wouldn't you be anxious? 
Sweetie, you know what I think? I think avoid telling your child why they shouldn't feel nervous. Wouldn't you be nervous if you were heading to a new classroom, meeting a new teacher, or maybe even starting a new school? That's directly from the blog right because I guess that's the thing is I, I sometimes think we ask things of our kids that we don't ask of ourselves. And when they tell us they're nervous, we'll go, oh, it's no big deal. You've gone back to school before. And the truth is they have every right to be nervous. What we want to do as parents is not tell them to not be nervous, but to teach them how to deal with nerves. Then being nervous doesn't become a problem or something they need to numb out. So how do you teach them how to deal? The first thing is, is to accept that you're feeling nervous too and let them know that you understand. Validating and normalizing feelings takes the edge off of them. Mm. Whenever you're feeling something, this is why people write things on Facebook and say, oh, I'm having the worst day. And someone else will say, I'm having the worst day too. And we'll go, oh, good. Like we feel a sense of relief Mm -hmm. that other people have felt it before. You know, that's why we share our feelings with people. So to let them know, yeah, I'm feeling a little anxious too. So then they feel normal to have that feeling. Then we talk about what can we do about it. It's different for every kid. Some with kids are really little. I'm really into movement. Right. You know what I mean? Like have them move their bodies, like dance it out or start to do some, you know, yoga poses or should they dance like you're dancing right now? Yeah, I'm doing my arm movement. I don't know what that is. I know. Um, just move your body. If the kids are older, talk to them in a more pe- when I say peer talk to them relatable relatable yeah Yeah. don't get out of your parenting role and Mm. be like yeah you know talk to them about your experiences Mm. ask them are they feeling scared sad ask them do they know why are they not sure can they pinpoint it um teach them about breathing about when you know when you're starting to feel really nervous take a breath teach them about being present so they don't get ahead of themselves and say what if this happens what if this happens take it Day by day, moment by moment. Have we talked about the Cameron story recently at kindergarten? I feel like Which we just... One? When she was anxious and she would start crying at oh, school. Yeah. yeah, we've talked about it before, yeah. Just for kicks. One more time. Well, when Cameron started kindergarten, she obviously was nervous, like I think 99% of kindergartners are. And uh, she got through the first day all right, but then... She had um, some experiences where she would cry in school, and she couldn't really pinpoint it. But I, we, I think it was she missed being at home. I right. think it was you know missing us. But um, she would cry, and I, I talked to her teacher about it. And what Todd and I came to the teacher with, instead of saying what do we do, what do we do, we said, would it be okay with you if we just let her cry? Mm-hmm. And and we'll come up with a plan with Cameron, and then we'll talk to you about it. Like, I made sure that I partnered with her teacher. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go against any of her classroom rules. But uh, I talked to Cameron, and I said, what if when you feel like crying, you just go to the bathroom? Right. And she liked that plan. Yeah. So and she did it. She did it. So we talked to the teacher, and the teacher said, okay, yeah. she can do that. And so Cameron did that. And, and she, I, this, yeah. it seems like such a simple story, but I think a lot of parents, maybe even me, if you were – if you and I weren't married, I would talk Cameron out of why she shouldn't be sad. Right. And very such a simple solution. Talk to the teacher, say, hey, let her go to the bathroom more often than you normally would because she might be going to get sad and cry. Right. And thank goodness um, that the teacher was on board. Well, and part of that is we know and what, what I trust with crying is that crying is a release. Mm-hmm. And so crying isn't demonstrating that she can't handle kindergarten. Crying is I'm feeling this way. I need to release it. Okay, whew, now I can go back to what I was doing. Right. I sometimes think a sense of confidence and strength comes after a good cry. A lot of times I have a good laugh after a good cry. Like you're kind of re-energized. Mm-hmm. You've let the emotion go through. Right. If kids have to stifle and swallow it, right. I feel like it's going to come out in their behavior. Right. I feel like 
they're going to be angry. I feel like they may think that you're not hearing them or understanding them. And I think as parents, what we try and do is say, don't feel that way because we feel anxious about how we will be perceived mm-hmm. or we feel bad that we're having the teacher deal with our child. But the truth is, is if our child knows it's okay to cry, it's not really a behavior problem. Right. Now, some people listening to this may say, well, my situation was more extreme. There's many situations. Yeah. If you've there's had a, a whole si- spectrum, there's there. a whole spectrum. You know, there's some kids who really need a little more support, but for Cameron, that's what she needed then. And it was a very simple solution. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, she's, you know, going into fourth that she doesn't really need that anymore in that way. But I kind of feel like we gave her permission to utilize that in other ways in her life. Right. It may not be going to the bathroom in a classroom, but it may be just, Go ahead and cry and then come back and you'll be able to handle this. Um, remember how I said you had the summer summertime blues? Yeah. This is another summertime bluesy song. This is the one I want to hear. Oh. This is the one. This is Kid Rock. Are you going to sing it? No. Even though I like it because it's, it was 89. He's, he's our age. Is he? We were smoking funny things. <laughs> the bottle, not thinking about tomorrow. Singing sweet home Alabama all summer long. Turn it up. Singing sweet home Alabama all summer long. So I think I'm only allowed to play 30 seconds before he sues us. So you got it. So I don't want Kid Rock to sue us. Me neither. Um, but w- that song's so great because he's our age. So he talks about, I think he says it's in 1989, which Maybe. is when I was a senior. You were a junior. You were young. That's right. Um, but yeah, that's my favorite line from that song because I really think as a songwriter, he could have done better than that. We were, we were trying different things, things and we were smoking funny. funny things. Yeah, he didn't. It, that just is like such an elementary way yeah. to say that. It's the sound. The song is so elementary. If you think about it, he, like he stole the whole riff from somebody else, right. and he just laid some lyrics on it. But yet, it's good. Well, you know what? He captures a feeling. He sure does. And I and Kid Rock. You know, I'm, Come not, on. A, I'm not a big fan of Kid Rock. You're I got, not. I got uh, of his music. My friend Laura loves Kid Rock. She goes to his concerts. She also likes Rod Stewart. And she. <laughs> And she she lives in Michigan, so that's where Kid Rock is from. He's a Detroit boy. All right. So uh, our last partner is Avid Company, painting and remodeling (laughs) all over the Chicagoland area. Um, 630-956-1800. I don't know. It's just my mom really likes Rod Stewart. (laughs) Enough said. Right? (laughs) Um, 630-956-1800. And Jeremy Kraft is the owner, friend, colleague. And very good at what he does, so give him a call. So that's we're forty one minutes in. All right. So, uh, is there any song you want to kind of leave the show with that I should put in? Um, Think about it while I start talking about what we're promoting. Okay. Um, on September eleventh at Field School in Elmhurst, Illinois, we are co-sponsoring a documentary called "The Race to Nowhere" uh, with PTA Field PTA. Um, the link to reserve your free ticket is in the show notes. So it's zenparentingradio.com slash 188, whatever it is. So that's one thing. I also have a men's group, a monthly men's group that I am uh, 
recruiting new members. So if you are into um, having a good discussion amongst men that support each other, uh, let me know. Shoot me an email at comments at zenparentingradio.com. Um, and don't forget that um, to do your shopping uh, via Amazon through our website first. So go to zenparentingradio.com, go in the lower right-hand corner, and you will find uh, a search box and do your shopping through Amazon through that search box. And BU, the company that we co-created uh, a few months ago, uh, will get a commission and it will not cost you anything extra. So, And then lastly, sweetie, you got a book coming out. We're hoping for December, right? Hopefully sooner. Um, yeah, December 1st is the publishing date. And it's looking good. I yeah. got some cover ideas today. I got my publisher sent me five different options. So we're trying to If you choose. liked her first two books, you're really going to love this one. This one's, third yes, one. I'm excited about this one. Um, did you think of any good songs to close well, out? Well, I was trying to think of a goodbye song. And it's interesting. The song that keeps coming into my head is The Other Way Around. I want to I play Here Comes the Sun, which, um, or something to that effect, because I feel like um, there. I would rather focus on hope. Okay, let's do that. All right. So real quick, this is Todd Adams. And this is Kathy Adams. Saying keep trucking. Keep trucking. Have a great week.